in part at least where I left off last week in uh, this thing of, of uh, what we think of government, uh, how we respond to things that are on this earth and, and uh, the powers that be. But I want to take a little different approach today and go through a different uh, line of thinking. And I want to begin in the book of Haggai. Uh, so you might be turning there. Haggai 2. Uh, this is a description of the former temple, and primarily, of course, a comparison between it and the latter, latter temple. Uh, the former temple, as I understand this, being that of Worldwide Church of God, which has since come apart and gone away, and the latter temple, which is yet to be formed and should be forming soon. And he says that in chapter 2, verse 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, and in this place will I give peace. A very comforting scripture for us uh, in the time that we're going through right now of confusion and frustration in the church. And uh, we know it to be all in time because chapter 2, verse 3 says, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory, and how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes the comparison of it is nothing? So there are old men, as it says here, uh, who will be able to compare the former with the latter. And we've been over that before. But to lay a little background here. Now let's go on down to chapter 2 of Haggai and verse 11. This is a very, very important uh, concept for us to consider right now. Uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, now here's the question, here's what we're to put to the priesthood. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No, according to the law, if you have something which is clean, and it touches the unclean, and we're not just talking about meat here, he includes bread, uh, wine, oil, pottage, meat, uh, anything that this holy meat touches becomes, or makes the whole that which has already been holy, unholy. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? So, uh, using the Old Testament uh, delineation between clean and unclean here in the laws and statutes of Leviticus, if one touch that is unclean by a dead body touch the dead body during the day, touch any of these things named above, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. So again, showing that anything which is unholy or unclean that touches something, how did I say that? Anything that is holy or clean touches anything that is unholy or unclean, that which is holy becomes unclean. That's the point that's being made. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Eternal, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. So, which people and which nation is he talking about here? Haggai and Zechariah are talking, the first part, first six chapters at least of Zechariah, and probably more, are talking specifically and expressly to the church. They're not talking to the nation of Israel, but to the church. There are other scriptures throughout the prophets who are talking to one or the other, or both in most cases. But this is one, this book, is dedicated and is about, is dedicated to, and is about only the church. So, 
when he says, this people and this nation before me, so is every work of their hands. So the church, as God looked upon it, had touched the unclean in some way or fashion, and it become unclean. And that which they offer there is unclean. That means the prayers, that means the sermons, the sermonettes, the songs, everything that was being offered up to God at the end of Worldwide, as I see this, was unclean, because it had touched that which was unclean. And now let's go on a little further and see what God says about this. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, we're talking about the latter temple here now, to be laid, since those days were, when one came to an heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there was but twenty. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands. Yet you turned not to me, says the Eternal. So God is saying that what has happened in the church is something he has done to the church is a result of us having become unholy and unclean. Now, we've covered this over and over and over again, but you need only go to Revelation 3 and see that the church lapsed into Laodiceanism, pride, vanity, self-righteousness, and those sins, a lack of commitment, and all the things that go with Laodiceanism is what came to characterize the church here at this end-time age. And God spewed it out of his mouth. That's what he's saying here. He sent spiritual famine. You can go to Amos 4, Amos 8, and you can see that a famine came on the church in Amos 4, and it becomes a total famine in Amos 8. And we're somewhere in between those two extremes right at the moment. So the church as a whole still has not turned to God. They have gone on basically the same way they were going, in many cases got worse, and turned from a lot of the truths they even did have, though they were not giving the attention to God they should have had. And I say they, I mean we, because I was certainly one of them, just as you were some of them. And we all slumbered and slept. But God is saying here that there is an uncleanness, there is an unholiness that has occurred, and as what we have seen happen to the church is a result of that uncleanness occurring. So this is a description of current events, and it has to do with the Church of God right now. We still see famine and pestilence and, and the sword spiritually on the Church. So what he's saying here is that there is a defilement by association, or a defilement by contact. If that which is holy, has been holy, was holy, was becoming holy certainly in the Church, God has set it aside as holy at least, it set each of us aside as holy, and we touched that which was unclean, and we became unholy and unclean. So it was a defilement by association and contact with the world, perhaps, with false doctrine to some degree, with Satan, with anything unclean, uh, we became unclean. And God shows us what has happened to the church as a result of that. Now, we need to understand the purpose of clean and unclean in the Bible. Why did God make some animals clean and some unclean? Why did he have all those washings and ordinances in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers? 
Uh, what was the purpose in the first place of showing clean and unclean? Let's go to Jeremiah 11 before we get further into that. Jeremiah 11. Now here is a prophecy about God's people here at the end, because Jeremiah was written to the end-time church and to the end-time people of Israel. Jeremiah 11, verse 3, And say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed be the man that obeys not the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought them out of forth out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice, and do them according to all which I command you, so shall you be my people, and I will be your God. That's what God required of them. That's all he required of them. That I may perform the oath which I have sworn to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. Then answered I, and said, So be it, O Lord. Jeremiah speaking. Then the Eternal said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, and those are code words for the church, again, Hebrews 12, 22, and 23, saying, Hear ye the words of this covenant, and do them. For I earnestly protested to your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, even to this day, rising early and protesting, saying, Obey my voice. Now that's a broken record through the entire Bible. Obey God. Yet they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked every one in the imagination of their evil heart. Therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did them not. And the Eternal said to me, A conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of this Jews from Jerusalem. They are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words, and they went after other gods to serve them. And... We could delineate perhaps what gods we tended to serve in this day and age. We maybe didn't do it with sticks and stones, but we do it with things made of things on this earth, uh, material wealth, money, however you want to define it, automobiles, televisions, houses, uh, jewelry, on and on it goes. It may not be in the, the form or the shape of an idol, but anything that gets between us and God is an idol, and materiality is probably the biggest idol other than, well, Self, perhaps, is a bigger idol in that sense. Our own human mind and thoughts and actions and the way we are as human beings. We put ourselves ahead of God. And then we put materiality ahead of God. And on and on the list goes. So it's just a modern form of carved idols. So the house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Verse 14, Therefore pray not you for this people, neither lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. What has my beloved to do in my house, seeing she has wrought lewdness with many, and the holy flesh is passed from you? So he's telling us the same thing that Haggai did. Because we did not obey God in the way that he wished to be obeyed, we gave him lip service only, and we have wrought lewdness with this world and its business and its entertainment and everything about this world, we have touched it. We have let it become a part of us. And our attention was turned somewhat from God, even though we recognized God as a church. We did not obey him in the way and love him in the way that he wanted to be loved. Verse 16, the Lord called your name a green olive tree, fair and of goodly fruit. That's what worldwide was in God's estimation. 
With the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled fire upon it, and the branches of it are broken. For the Lord of hosts that planted you has pronounced evil against you, for the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves, see, we've done it to ourselves, to provoke me to anger in offering incense to Baal. And the Lord has given me knowledge of it, and I know it. Then you showed me their doings. Verse 20, But, O Lord of hosts, that judges righteously, that tries the reins in the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for unto you have I revealed my cause. So Jeremiah was saying, I want to see the people punished as a result of what they've done. And that's where we are today. We're being punished for what we have done. And it is because of lewdness and the holy flesh is passed from us. We touch that which was unclean. All right, let's go to Ezekiel 28. And let's get back to the very basis of uncleanness. What holiness and unholiness, cleanliness and uncleanliness is all about. Ezekiel 28. All right. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Because your heart is lifted up, and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas, yet you are a man, and not God, though you set your heart as the heart of God. Mankind likes to set himself up as being the final authority. Verse 12, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You sealed up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You have been in Eden, the garden of God. Now we're going to see that this is talking about Satan the devil. And he was at one time a very beautiful creation. Now the context here is of Tyre. And what it shows is that Satan is the king of Tyre. There are human kings who have been at the head of cities and of uh, empires throughout history. But who is the one who has been behind all of those? And it, it brings it down to Satan being the true king of Tyre. He had been in Eden. No king, physical king, had ever been there, but Satan had been. Verse 14, You are the anointed cherub that covers, and I have set you so. You were upon the holy mountain of God. See, God's mountain was holy. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. So he had been clean and holy. But, he adds, till iniquity was found in you. By the multitude of your merchandise they have filled the midst of you with violence, and you have sinned. Therefore I will cast you as profane out of the mountain of God. Unclean, profane, unholy, evil, all of those synonyms for what Satan has become. Verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. So his own pride caused him to lift himself up above God, so that he wanted to do those things which God would not do and demanded that he not do. And we set ourselves up as an idol when we do anything contrary to what God wants us to do, because we're saying, I want what I want to do is more important to me right now than what God wants me to do. What I want to think right now is more important to me than what God wants me to think. You have set yourself up as God when you do that. Verse 2, 
the end of it, remember? You set your heart as the heart of God. So anytime we put self, self ahead of God, we have become an idol, an idol to ourselves. And that is exactly what Satan did. So that which had been holy and in the holy place had become profane and unholy. This is where uncleanness actually started. This was the very beginning of it. We see here a separation between holy and unholy. That which it be, was holy became unholy. Let's go to Isaiah 14. Let's pick up a little bit more of the story here. Isaiah 14. And I pick this one, which is a companion scripture to Ezekiel 28. And I do it on purpose because of the analogy that is drawn here as opposed to Tyre. This has to do with Babylon. Verse 4 of Isaiah 14. That you shall take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How has the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased? It's going to be destroyed. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and none hinders. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. This uh, reminds me of Zechariah 1 just before those prophecies are unleashed there in Zechariah, and the church is released from Babylon, uh, he uses the same description here just before Babylon is destroyed. But notice verse uh, 11. Your pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of your vials, the worm is spread under you, and the worms cover you. How are you fallen from heaven, O Hillel, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? So uh, the... The timing here of this is, as the earth is at rest just before God shakes the world one more time and destroys the kingdoms of Babylon, and he who is the king of Babylon himself, uh, Satan, the devil, he is also going to be cut down before this is over with. For you have said in your heart, I will send, ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. He would ascend above uh, the clouds and so on. Verse 16, They that see you shall narrowly look upon you and consider you, saying, Is this the man that made the earth tremble and did, that did shake the kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? In other words, Satan has caused a lot of trouble and is about to cause a lot more. And then God is going to destroy the Babylon that he has set up. So we will see before we're done that there are many scriptures which tell us to get out of Babylon, away from that system which Satan has set up. And this is when it began, was when Satan began as a cherub who then rebelled and became the devil, the serpent, and Satan. And he was no longer holy as God had made him holy. So we had a problem, or there was a problem, before uh, man was ever created. Satan had rebelled long before that, and an uncleanness, an unholiness had entered the universe for the first time. Now, God then made man, and we'll see what happened then as a result of that. But all this goes back to Babel, to Babylon, and to the king of Babylon, who was Satan. Now let's go to Zechariah 13.2 and tie this in just for a moment. Um, Zechariah 13. 
and verse 2, And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall be no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. The unclean spirit here in Zechariah 13, 2, is from the Hebrew Tumah, number 29, 32 in the Hebrew, and it is defined as religious impurity, uncleanness, and filthiness. So there is an unclean spirit that has gone through the earth. Now let's go to the New Testament and see that again. It's, there's a Greek word for unclean spirit. You can be turning to Matthew 12, verse 43. Matthew 12, verse 43. And uh, here you have Strong's number 169 which is Hecathartos, 12, verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walks through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Now, the word here, Hecathartos, is used ten times in the New Testament, if I count it correctly, about an unclean spirit. And it is defined as impure, lewd, demonic, foul, and unclean. So, the words for unclean, for unholy, for lewd, demonic, that are used in the Old Testament and the New Testament refer to Satan and his demons. So that shows that the uncleanness, the unholiness, the lewdness, the foulness uh, began with him. Uh, he is the first one to be separated from God in that way. At one time, there was only holiness, holiness or cleanness in the universe, nothing unclean at all. Then came, through him, the ungodly, the unholy, and hence the unclean. So uncleanness in the Bible, in its various forms and descriptions, uh, is really a separation from God or an unholiness. Eating the clean or unclean then becomes a symbol of holiness or unholiness. Clean and unclean meats is not just a physical law, as has sometimes been taught. Uh, the analogy throughout the entire Bible is that holiness and unholiness, cleanness and uncleanness, is a spiritual problem. It's a holiness issue. It's a cleanness issue. And my feeling on this, my belief is then, that the clean and unclean became a holiness issue because there was unholiness in the universe and man became unholy very quickly as after he was uh, created that was put there as a symbol to always remind us that there is cleanness and there is uncleanness in the universe and that there is cleanness and uncleanness in Satan and in us and we need that constant reminder day by day as we eat food that we are here to be holy and to be clean not unclean. Now, scientists have analyzed various meats, and they would tell you that they are just a composite of vitamins and minerals, or chemical compounds, really, and they cannot discern a difference that one would be good for you and one would not be good for you. Um, some articles have, and maybe, or allegedly, shown that pork is bad for you, that it's worse for your body than clean meats. Well, this may be so. Maybe God did make 
because of digestive systems and so on, uh, animals that would not be good for us to eat and would harm the physical body. But that's not really the main point. The main point is the symbolism of clean and unclean, or holy and unholy. We have to understand and realize that that's the only problem there is in the universe, is unholiness and uncleanness. And every form of thought or action that Satan or mankind takes, which is apart from God and is not the way he thinks and acts, is unholy and unclean. And if we touch that which is unholy or unclean, God says in Haggai 2 that we become unholy and unclean. That's a scary thought when you boil it down to this. Anything we touch out here in this world that is under the purview of Satan the devil is unclean. And as we touch it, he says, we become unclean. That's why Isaiah says, see no evil and hear no evil. Let's go back to Genesis 4 and see the history of man as it unfolds. Genesis 4. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the eternal. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So we have a rancher and a farmer, basically. At least in American terms. They're all farmers in Africa. I don't think they use the term rancher. But Abel was a keeper of sheep. Question, did they know clean from unclean? Why wasn't he a pig rancher, pig farmer? He knew what was a suitable sacrifice. Not only was it a sheep, but it was the firstling. It says here in uh, verse 3, And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the eternal. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. So not only was it a sheep, but it was the firstling. So they did have some knowledge and some understanding of what would be a proper sacrifice and how it should be done. And not only should it be a sheep or a lamb, but it also should be a firstling. So there was a great deal of understanding there that we may not give them credit for. Now Cain rebelled at this. He figured that his carrots and whatever it was that he brought, his produce of the ground, was just as good as the sheep. But God was angry with him because it was not a proper sacrifice. Now that means that Cain also knew what a proper sacrifice was. He just rebelled against it and brought something which God in that sense considered unclean. It was not proper. Now were they vegetarians? Genesis 1.29 uh, has been used to indicate that perhaps they were. Verse 129, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for food. So it does not indicate that he gave them meat to eat there from the very beginning, but perhaps right after they sinned, uh, he did. Remember, he gave them leather clothes right off the bat. And they were very likely eating meat, uh, by the time Cain and Abel grew up, if not immediately after they were kicked out of the garden, because they would have all been farming instead of ranching in that case, more than likely. Why would you raise sheep except maybe just for the wool? And they'd already been given leather garments as an example, so perhaps they would have been wearing leather instead of wool at that point. 
But it would seem to me then that they began to eat meat right after they were kicked out of the garden. And it's a moot point, as meat was clearly a food thereafter. Now let's go to Genesis 7 and see something here, which I think is an important point for us to understand. And this is, the point is this, that there is a difference between the laws of clean and unclean meats as issued by God from the time they began to eat meat, probably right after, kicked out, after they were kicked out of the garden, and thereafter, and the ordinances of clean and unclean, and washed and unwashed, and, and separation that occurred later on after they had come out of Egypt. But those aren't all one and the same. Here's something that goes all the way back. Notice in Genesis 7, The Eternal said to Noah, Come you and all your house into the ark, for you have, you have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast you shall take to you by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean, by two, the male and his female. So it's clear, all the way back to Noah, that they understood the difference between clean and unclean. And we've already seen that that probably was delineated even from the creation. Once God created the animals, he had a pretty good idea that man would sin, and he had already created clean and unclean in the seven days of creation. And it was shortly after they were kicked out of the garden, if not before, that God told them what was clean and what was unclean. You see, until they sinned, there had been no uncleanness in man. Man was, in that sense, uh, clean. He had been created clean. God looked at what he had made and said it was good. So man was good and man was clean at that moment. But there was already uncleanness and unholiness in the universe as a result of the uh, rebellion of the cherub who became Satan. So God understood that uncleanness would be introduced to man. So even from the very beginning, in the animals, he showed clean and unclean. There had to have been a reason for that. And I would say that the symbolism is that God wanted them to understand the difference between the two. Genesis 8, verse 20. And Noah built an art altar to the eternal, this was after they came out of the ark, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Didn't offer anything uh, unclean at all. And the eternal smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So God made a compact here, and he did it with a rainbow to show that he would never flood the earth again. But the point is, for us here, that there was clean and there was unclean all the way back there. Now, Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 12, I'll turn back here, and... Uh, Verse 14, But in the place which the Eternal shall choose, and one of the tribes, there shall you offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. Notwithstanding, you may kill and eat flesh in all your gates, whatsoever your soul lusts after, according to the blessing of the Eternal your God, which he has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat thereof, as of the robot and as of the heart. Only you shall not eat the blood, you shall pour it upon the earth as water. So domestic animals, wild animals that... A qualified is clean, they can hunt and kill and eat. 
So it's clear here with Israel that they could eat clean meats. And you can go into Leviticus 11, and there he very carefully lays out what is clean and what is unclean. So clean and unclean meats came from Adam and Eve, from creation. And Noah was clearly instructed in the clean and the unclean. But what about Israel later on? Let's go to Jeremiah 7. This probably is a memory scripture with us. Jeremiah 7. And here I'll begin in verse 21. Jeremiah 7:21. Thus says the Eternal of hosts, the God of Israel, Put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices, and eat flesh. So he says, go ahead and give burnt offerings and sacrifices, and eat the flesh afterward. For I spoke not to your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifice, or sacrifices. So he says, and I think this may have represented a change here. In other words, uh, Adam and Eve, certainly Cain and Abel, Abel, were giving sacrifices to God. But God had taken Israel through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and made a covenant through Abraham with Israel. And then later on when they came out of Egypt, he made a specific covenant with them at Sinai saying that they should obey him. And they already had clean and unclean meats laws, just like they already had the Sabbath, like they had all the laws of God, the Ten Commandments, in effect. They had not yet been codified, but they were there. Uh, Genesis 26.5 proves that, where it says that Abraham obeyed. So, maybe God was saying here that even though others had given sacrifices before, if, if they would do what God told them when he brought them out of Egypt, he would not have laid sacrifices on them. He said, I didn't speak of that to you when I brought you out of Egypt. Here's what he did say to them when they came out of Egypt. But this thing, verse 23, But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk you in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well to you. But they hearken not, nor incline their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. They began to sin and rebel right there at Sinai, right after they had made the covenant. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have even sent to you all my servants the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearkened not to me, nor inclined their ear, but hearkened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So all the prophets God sent, they never listened to. And Christ confirmed that in Jeremiah 20, I mean in Matthew 23, where he said that they would not listen, and they stoned the prophets. Verse 27, Therefore, as a result, of this. You shall speak these words to them, but they will not hearken to you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. Now this is Jeremiah. This is an end time prophecy. And though the words of Jeremiah be read to us today, to the church as a whole, most of the church is not going to hearken. Most of the church will not turn and obey God with all their hearts. And that's all God has ever wanted from his people all the way back Adam and Eve, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, through David, through all the prophets, through when Christ was on the earth talking to the people of Israel and Judah, who would simply would not obey God. And he's saying it to the end-time church as well, in this end-time prophecy, that it too 
will not obey God. It's a terrible uh, thing that he has to say to us here. That we're just like all of those in the past. Go to Zechariah 1. It's talking about the New Testament church there. And it says we've denied and gone about the things the same way our fathers did. We've not been willing to make the changes. And as a result, God is devastating the church, cutting it down to less than 10%, a small remnant, as Isaiah 1-9 says. That's where we're headed and getting close to now. Because why? Because we sought the unclean. Because we've never decided to be holy and clean as opposed to unclean. Psalm 40. Verse 6, Psalm 40. Verse 6, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Mine ears have you opened. Burn offerings and sin offering have you not required. See, God has never wanted sacrifice and offering. He has only wanted holiness. He has only wanted cleanness. And as a result of man's sins, our sins, Israel's sins, the church's sins today, God is very angry because we have not attained unto holiness. And that has been his goal all along. Let's go to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. Here I want uh, verse... 22. Here the people had been told to do one thing, to kill all, to utterly destroy everything of Amalek, uh, verse 3. And then Samuel heard the bleeding of sheep, uh, and they had spared some of them. And Samuel told them, verse 17, When you were little in your own sight, were you not made the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king of, over Israel, speaking specifically to Samuel, but he's, he's talking also to the people here. And then Saul blamed it all on the people, verse 21. And verse 22, and Samuel said, Has the Eternal as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Eternal? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. See, God never really wanted sacrifice in the beginning. He didn't want it with Adam and Eve. He only wanted obedience, but they disobeyed. And as a result, then they began to give sacrifice. But it would have been better to have obeyed to start with. Verse 23, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So see what happened to Saul as a result of allowing the people and himself to do it a little differently than what God had desired. And Israel, when they came out of Egypt, did it a whole lot differently than God had desired. So he laid a whole system of sacrifices on them to remind them on a daily basis about uncleanness, that he had intended them to be clean, but they had become unholy, and he wanted them to be holy, to be obedience. So God's whole intent from Genesis on has never been sacrifice but obedience living and thinking as he lives and thinks. Anything less than that is unholy and unclean. So, again, clean and unclean.
Now, since that had the clean and unclean difference was made almost immediately with Adam and Eve, if not from the creation itself, the first week, uh, this whole sacrificial system is different. And as I touched on a little earlier, coming out of Egypt should have been an upgrade. Even had man been giving sacrifices before, as Cain and Abel clearly were, uh, maybe God would not have required that at that point had they obeyed. Now we can move forward to the New Testament, which I don't want to do right now, but a new covenant was made with us. And God has said he does not want sacrifice. He didn't lay the sacrifices that he laid on Israel when they came out of Egypt upon us because he expected an upgrade of us. He expected us to obey him, just as he expected Adam and Eve to obey and Israel to obey when they came out of Egypt. And Adam and Eve failed. Israel failed coming out of Egypt. And to a great degree, the early New Testament church which had a great falling away, and we, who have been falling away, have also failed. And Haggai tells us to make a difference between the clean and the unclean, to make sure that we understand that if we, who are supposed to be holy, touch the unholy, we become unholy. We become unclean if we touch the, un the unclean. And that's to the New Testament church, even though it's back in the book of Haggai. It's written to the end-time church. And we'll get to the New Testament eventually and, and what God expects of us there. And we'll find that it's no different. It's the same old broken record in one sense. So they should have had an upgrade when they came out of Egypt. And he was not going to instruct them to give sacrifices and offerings. I think that's what Jeremiah is clearly saying. Had they obeyed and continued to obey, he would have never made them do another sacrifice. That isn't what he wants. He wants obedience, as Samuel said. So had they not sinned in the desert, they wouldn't have ever had to go through all of that. But they sinned and separated themselves, so the sacrifices had to be instituted, or possibly reinstituted at that point. So clean and unclean was assembled then, and it still is. Satan is still the prince of the power of the air, and just as unclean as ever. And so is man who sins. Now you can go from there to Leviticus, and I'm not going to go through this whole thing because there's so much of it, but let's get a little sampling of it. Leviticus, we can begin in chapter 1. Really the whole book is about this. It's just a litany of all the things that God had them do to help them remember the difference between holy and unholy, between clean and unclean. They simply didn't get the message at Sinai. As soon as Moses disappeared up the mountain, they began to party. They began to sin in every way they could think of. So he says in verse 2 of Leviticus 1, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, If any man of you bring an offering to the Eternal, and you shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock, if his offering be a burnt offering or sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So it was to be without blemish, and of course that would be a type then of Christ who was without blemish, who was offered for us, and an yet another covenant where God was trying to upgrade man from uncleanness. And then it goes on to describe the sacrifice there, and it talks about uh, chapter 2, the meal offering. It goes on to the oblation of the first fruits, the peace offering. Uh, chapter 4, the sin 
offering of ignorance and talks about uh, the priest who might sin before God. Chapter 4, verse 3, if the priest that is anointed do, do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the eternal for a sin offering. So from the high priest down all through the tribes, if anybody sinned, they had to bring a sin offering. And then verse 13, And if the whole congregation of Israel sinned through ignorance, and the thing be hid from the eyes of the assembly. And really that's where we were in worldwide. The whole congregation thought it was righteous, thought it was fine, thought it was okay, thought it would go into the place of safety and into the kingdom of God, and yet we were sinning in one sense in ignorance. We didn't realize how unclean we were, how inattentive to God we were, and how self-righteous we were. But same problems that they had back then. It's just that the sacrifice is different now. It goes on through... Uh, the trespass offering of the flock of the fowls. I'm just reading at the top of my King James rather than going through all this. Uh, the trespass offering and sins of ignorance. Keep turning the pages. Law of the burnt offering, the meat offering, trespass offering, peace offerings, uh, the priest portion and the offerings, the consecration of Aaron and his sons. It just goes on and on. In chapter 10, he gives some specific instruction. I'm picking a few things out of this. The Lord spoke to Aaron, verse 8 of chapter 10, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, you nor your sons, with you when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He didn't want the priests or the ministry today going to the, going to the pulpit drunk. Verse 10, and that you may put difference between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean. Well, here's the whole point of all this, is we might know the difference between these things. And he lumps holy and unholy and unclean and clean together here in one verse, showing that they are uh, synonymous. In other words, uh, pork or any other unclean animal is not just a physical law. It is so that we might see the difference between holy and unholy, unclean and clean. It's a physical law, but it is there for a spiritual lesson. And for someone to say, well, I can eat pig in front of the Chinese or whoever because they eat bats and rats and, and whatever, uh, I can eat that with them so that I don't offend them. Uh, I don't think that's right. Uh, yeah, the body will pass it off. It may, be, may do some harm to the body. But really, uh, we're defiling and defying this instruction here between holy and unholy, clean and unclean, when we choose to do that. It is more than just a physical law. And we can go on. Uh, chapter 11, verse 44. Leviticus 11:44. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourselves. That is, set yourselves apart. Set yourselves differently than anyone around you. You are to live differently, to do differently, and to set a different example. We are to obey God rather than man, Acts 5:29. So when there is a situation where we would have to break God's law in order to please man or not offend man, we simply offend man. That's all there is to it. 
we cannot afford to offend God. That is a much greater offense. Now, we shouldn't offend man if there's any way we can avoid it. But when it comes to disobeying God in order not to offend man, we simply cannot do it. We are set aside. We are to sanctify ourselves. And you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if we touch the unclean thing, be it a piece of pig or uh, fornication or murder or whatever, thievery, we make ourselves unholy. We make ourselves unclean, and we separate ourselves from God. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. It doesn't say, except unless it might offend the Chinese. For I am the Lord that brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy, he says again. This is the law of the beasts and of the fowl and of every living creature that moves in the waters and of every creature that creeps upon the earth to make a difference between the unclean and the clean and between the beasts that may be eaten and the beasts that may not be eaten. I don't think he could have put it much clearer had he tried that unclean meats have to do with holiness. It is not just a physical law. It is something that is there to discern between holy and unholy, clean and unclean. Chapter 20, verse 7. He goes on through all kinds of rites here, cleansing the leper, uh, sacrifices to do it. I'm just here at the, the uncleanness of men and their cleansing, the unclean, uncleanness of women and putting them out of the camp and all that kind of thing. They had to go through an awful lot to show that they were clean or unclean before God on a daily basis. He even talks about the high priest here, chapter 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron because they offered something that God didn't say to offer. And verse 4, at the end of the verse, it says, These are holy garments, therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. Type of baptism, perhaps. But the priest was to be clean and wear clean clothes. Chapter 20, verse 7. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be you holy, for I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Eternal, which sanctifies you. So he tells us here again, and then he goes on into uh, adultery and cursing father and mother and the various things we do that make us unclean. We are to be holy and not profane in anything we think or do toward anyone in any way. Uh, chapter 20, verse 22. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them, that the land, whether I bring you to dwell therein, spew you not out. And you shall not walk in the manners of the nation. You, you don't go to China or Japan and eat and drink and walk as they walk. When you're in Rome, you don't do as the Roman does. Wherever you go on this earth, you think and do as God does. Don't do the manner in the manner of the nations, which I cast out before you. For they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess it. A land that flows with milk and honey, I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. Now, when we go and visit other people, 
do we do as they do based on this? Or do we separate ourselves and act only as God would act? Do only as he would do? Did Christ, when he was here on this earth, do as the nations and the peoples and the Jews around him did? Or did he condemn that very soundly and do differently than they did? We are separated from the other nations of this world, from the peoples of this world. You shall therefore put difference between clean beasts and unclean. See here again, he says it's a spiritual issue. I've separated you from other people, and therefore I want you to make a separation in animals as a symbol or a type of this. And between unclean fowls and clean, and you shall not make your souls abominable by beast or by fowl or by any manner of living thing that creeps on the ground which I have separated from you as unclean. He says, you're to separate those animals just the way I've separated you from other people. There is a difference. And you shall be holy to me, for I, the Eternal, am holy and have severed you from other people that you should be mine. Now, separated or severed, you separate, you push one to one side, one to the other, or with a knife or a sword, you sever it. In other words, it's a it's cut completely apart that we are not to be a part of uncleanness in any way. We need to understand this thing of clean and unclean. And I'm going over this scripture after scripture to show what God thinks about it. Let's go to chapter 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel and that they profane not my holy name, and those things which they hallow to me, I am the Eternal. Say to them, Whosoever he be of all your seed among your generation that goes to the holy things which the children of Israel hallow to the Eternal, having his uncleanness upon him, that soul shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. So God says, You are a holy people, and if anybody comes with uncleanness, this is a problem. And then it talks about rep leprosy and how they're to be uh, kept apart, um, quarantined. Verse 10, There shall no stranger eat of the holy thing. A sojourner of the priest or an hired servant shall not eat of the holy thing. Uh, we're not to cast our pearls before swine, as Christ puts it. We are to be separate and different from the world. Verse 15, they shall not profane the holy things of the children of Israel, which they offer to the eternal, or suffer them to bear the iniquity of trespass when they eat their holy things. In other words, you are separated from the people of this world, and they cannot partake of the clean. And if you partake of the unclean, you become unclean yourself. It's the whole point. It's the whole point of clean and unclean animals. Deuteronomy 23, Deuteronomy 23, and here I want uh, verse 14. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. Therefore shall your camp be holy. When God's people are together, we are to be holy. We are not to be defiled by the things of this world. That he see no unclean thing in you and turn away from you. And God did. He says he's turned his face from us. He said he would spew us out of his mouth because of our uncleanness. You shall not deliver to his master the servant of which is escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you even among you in that place which he shall choose in one of your gates. 
where it likes him best, you shall not oppress him. There shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. Our nation today is is uh, going right along with sodomy. Uh, homosexuality, Romans 1, says we're not to do that. But boy, you can't lift your voice against it today and be politically correct. But God does not want any unholiness when he walks among us. He wants to see nothing but cleanness. Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7. Verse 1. Um, he talks about how he will bring you into the land to possess the peoples of seven nations. Verse 2, And when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you, you shall smite them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, neither shall you make marriages with them. See, he doesn't want that which he has set aside as separate, as holy, mixing with that which has not been sanctified, set aside, and set aside as holy. That's why... New Testament instruction is don't marry outside the church. Same thing here. He does not want a mixture there. It causes nothing but problems. Verse 4, For they will turn away your son from following me, that they may serve other gods. But thus you shall you deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, and break down their images, and cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. Would that offend them? Yes, it would. But God says, don't have anything to do with them. Take over their land and utterly destroy them. Had they done that, they would have saved themselves an awful lot of headaches later on. But they didn't. And they mixed with them. And it caused all kinds of problems. Verse 6, here's the reason why God gives this instruction. For you are an holy people unto the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people to himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. He's chosen the church to be a special people that is above all people that are upon the face of the earth. So blessed to be called and hopefully to be chosen now. What an incredible thing it is that God, out of all the billions of people on this earth, have called such a very few, and you and I happen to be among them because we're weak in base, and if we obey, it will be to his glory. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Eternal loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn to your fathers, has the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he has brought us out of Egypt, which is a type of sin in the New Testament church today. Same principle, same thing going on that went on back then. Know, therefore, that the Eternal, your God, he is God, the faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Here again he shows he wants holiness and obedience to the things of God. And we are a holy, special people. Numbers 18 through 19. Numbers 18 through 19. Uh, here he goes through and again shows the offerings, the waters of separation, a purification for sin. Uh, on and on it goes. I, I don't think I'll take the time to go through that. You've read through it all. <laughs> but the point I want out of this is that over and over again, he talks about the clean and the unclean and how he wants it separated. Let's, let me read chapter 19, verse 21. 
Uh, verse 20, But the man that shall be unclean and shall not purify himself, that soul shall be cut off among, among the congregation. Do we see sin cutting us off? Isaiah 59, 2, and we can go to the New Testament, which we'll get to eventually. And it makes us unclean when we sin and don't purify ourselves. We are to be pure and clean. That soul shall be cut off from among the congregation, New Testament church as well, because he has defiled the sanctuary of the eternal, the water of separation has not been sprinkled upon him, he is unclean. And we have a sprinkling for us, too, of the blood of Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't cover us, we're unclean. And it shall be a perpetual statute to them, that he that sprinkles the water of separation shall wash his clothes, and he that touches the water of separation shall be unclean unto even. And whatsoever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the soul that touches it shall be unclean until even. That goes back to Haggai 2, and says that which is holy, set aside, sanctified, and clean, if it touches the unclean, it becomes unclean. Now, do you and I want to touch anything unclean? That being a New Testament prophecy, and an assessment of the church today. Let's go to Job now. Job 14. Check my time as I go. Job 14. Verse 4, Job 14, 4. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. You can't make that which is unclean clean by touching it, by associating with it, by casting your pearls before it, or whatever. If It's unclean. If you touch something unclean, uh, that doesn't mean that the unclean becomes clean and you stay clean. If you touch the unclean, you become unclean. Now, the prophets show this concept over and over. Let's see. Well, I'll, I'll try to get into this a little bit. Let's go to Ezekiel 20. Ezekiel 20. Now, we're not talking about ancient Israel here anymore. We're making a transition to prophecies about Israel and the church today. And both are unclean. Both have become unclean because they touch the unclean thing. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 39 or 38, uh, well, let's go to 37. And I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. We, you know, They counted sheep, and they passed them under the rod, and checked them as they went, see what they were. And I will purge out from among you the rebels, and them that transgress against me. That makes them unclean, see. I will bring them forth out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, be it spiritual Israel or physical Israel, go you, serve you every one his idols, and hereafter also, if you will not hearken to me, but pollute you my name no more with your gifts and with your idols. For in my holy mountain, in the mountain of the height of Israel, says the Lord God, there shall all the house of Israel, all of them in the land, serve me. There will I accept them, and there will I require your offerings and the firstfruits of your oblations with all your holy things." I will accept you with your sweet savor when I bring you out from the people and gather you up out of the countries where you have been scattered. So the remnant of physical Israel and the remnant of the church are both going to be gathered in their own time. And God will again accept us once we have been able to stand on his holy mountain. But not until. We are not qualified to until we are cleaned up. Ezekiel 22. 
verse 26. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Still in that state, until the subtle devil stirred them up. I got somebody else reading some scripture there somewhere. I don't know how that's creeping into it. Roy, you might better check on that next uh, this next week and see uh, with our uh, people why we're getting a bleed over from someone else. Okay, I don't think that's a bleed, bleed over. I think that's intentional. I did too. <laughs> okay. How about five? How about two and a half? But at any rate, let's go on here and we'll just try to override that. Somebody preaching or something. Yeah. Uh, whoever who is preaching on our line, this is a private conference here. If you don't want to listen, you you can just please go elsewhere. We're paying for this line, and uh, you don't need to be preaching on it. So thank you. So anyway, the priests, the ministry today, has not made a difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. So both in physical Israel and in the church, this has occurred. And that's why Haggai makes the point is that we have to separate between the clean and the unclean. Uh, chapter 36, verse 38. As the holy flock, as the flock of Jerusalem and her solemn feasts, so shall the way cities be filled with flocks of men, and they shall know that I am the Eternal. So God is going to have a holy flock before this is over, and hopefully we can be a part of that. Chapter 39, verse 37. I wrote that down wrong, obviously, because there is not a 37 in there. Um, let's see, how am I doing here? Lamentations 4. Lamentations 4 I want next. How is the gold become dim? How is the most fine gold changed? We are to be the silver, the gold that God is purifying. And he said it has become dim. The stones of the sanctuary are poured out on the top of every street. Christ said in Matthew 24, 1 through 2, that all the stones in the temple would be knocked down and not one upon top of another. So this is what Lamentations is talking about. And things have not gone too well with the church. And it, it goes on and on and talks about the precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how are they esteemed as earthen pitchers, the work of the hands of the potters. Uh, we've had problems. We've not been the gold that we ought to be. Verse 7, her Nazarites were purer than snow. They were whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies. Their polishing was of sapphire. Their visage is blacker than coal. Now we've got famine spiritual famine. They are not known in the streets. Their skin cleaves to their bones. That which was righteous and holy that God had set aside as that has become the other. Unholy. They that be slain with a sword are better than they that be slain with hunger, for these pine away, stricken through for, stricken through for one of the fruits of the field. Better just to cut your head off than to starve you to death. But the ministry today is starving the people. 
Verse 11, the Lord has accomplished his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger and has kindled a fire in Zion. That's the church, again, Hebrews 12. And it has devoured the foundations thereof. The whole foundations of the church have been destroyed before us. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy should have entered into the gates of Jerusalem. Some of those people Mr. Armstrong visited with would just not have believed that what he was doing would come to absolutely nothing so quickly after his death. For the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests that have shed the blood of the just in the midst of her, they have wandered as blind men in the streets. They have polluted themselves with blood so that men could not touch their garments. God said, don't eat the blood. Remember, we already read that. When you kill the, the deer, the elk, or the kudu, or whatever, don't eat the blood, cover it with, with uh, dirt, he said. Don't eat that. But we've polluted ourselves with the unclean, that which God said, don't have. Verse 16, the anger of the eternal has divided them. He is the one who has separated and divided the church. He will no more regard them. They respected not the persons of the priests. They favored not the elders. So the people began to go away from the ministry, and the ministry deserved it. That's just the way things have been. And that is what we have seen, because we have not been holy the way we ought to have been. Verse 20, run. Well, let's see. No, I don't want to read that. Let's go on to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. Here I want verse 38. No, I don't. Uh, I want chapter 6. Well, I've done that a couple, three times lately. I'm going to pay more attention to how I write those down. Isaiah 6, verse 3. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the eternal of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So holy, holy, holy. Not just holy, but three times holy. And that's the way God wants us to become. Chapter 43, verse 15. Let's see if I got this one right. Chapter 43, verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. See, he wants us to be just like He is. Chapter 62. Chapter 62. And here I want... Uh, You know, I, th I think what I did was I mixed up some of uh, Isaiah. Let's go to 64. Verse 11. Isaiah 64, verse 11. Well, verse 10. Your holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem a desolation. The church is that way, and the physical nation is going to become that way. Our holy and our beautiful house, where our fathers praised you, is burned up with fire. Remember how we used to look at worldwide and how God had made it a beautiful house to us? And it had a certain holiness about it, but it's burned up with fire now, and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Will you refrain yourself for these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very sore? And that's exactly what he's done as a result of it. All right, let's continue then Isaiah 52.1. We've covered this recently. Isaiah 52.1, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, o, ho o Jerusalem, the holy city. This is talking about the church today. For thence, henceforth there shall no more come to you the uncircumcised and the unclean. So that's what God is trying to do, is make a difference between the holy and the unholy. That's what he wants us to do, is put on our beautiful white garments and be the holy city. Chapter, or, or verse 11, 
Depart, depart. Go out from thence. Touch no unclean thing. Go you out of the midst of her. Be you clean that bear the vessels of the eternal. So God tells us to get away from, don't touch this world. Get as far from it in every way as we possibly can, emotionally, mentally, uh, spiritually, physically. We do not want to touch or see or hear that which is unholy or unclean. That's what God is after with us. Chapter 64, verse uh, 6. Maybe this is what I wanted earlier. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is none that calls upon your name that stirs up himself to take hold of you. For you have hid your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. That's the way the church is today. And we have to recover from this. We need to stir ourselves up and take hold of God and be as he is. Let's go to one more now. And Joel, the, when you go through the, uh, the, common, I mean the concordance and you study holy, unholy, clean and unclean, and all of these words about purifying and so on, it is just an amazing amount of scriptures that are in there, over and over and over again. This may seem like a broken record, the amount that I've gone through today, but I've just barely scratched the surface of the ones that are there, showing the difference between holiness and unholiness, cleanliness and uncleanness. Chapter 3, verse 17 of Joel. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, my church, then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. God is going to restore, but it is only going to be the holy that are there. Anyone who is unholy, unclean, or a stranger in that sense will not be there anymore. Well, that's why he tells us that we are to become holy and clean before him. And the whole point of cleanness and uncleanness, whether he lays a sacrificial system on us because we've been unclean to remind us on a daily basis and a monthly basis and a yearly basis that we're unclean, or whether he can set us aside and sanctify us and make us holy, and then we stay that way. We live up to what God has set us aside to become. A particular people, a special people, a chosen people before him. Now, we didn't even get into the New Testament, uh, and we're about out of time, so I'm going to stop here, and we'll pick it up there and see what God desires of us and how this cleanness and uncleanness uh, is uh, approached in the New Testament Scriptures. So we'll get into that next week, God willing, and we'll end this then for today.